is Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer, with your host, Mr. Gameplay Goodness himself, Stevie Strout. All right, everybody, live from the internet, we bring you this week's episode of Coco Talk, the leading's, the nation's leading color computer talk show. Matter of fact, probably other than the Coco Fest, the only color computer talk show. Uh, this week is sponsored by Popstar Pilot. It is a crunchy, nutritious cereal that is filled with MSG and crystal <laughs> meth. And we want to invite all you kids to pour yourself a bowl of Popstar Pilot Crunchios and drink your Oval. All right. Right up from Metamucil. Oh, man. Welcome, everybody. Thank you, everybody who's here in the call right now. We'll go ahead and and, and do a a shout out roundabout here. We're starting up on my top left from Australia, Nick Morentes. Good eye, Nick. Good eye. Nick, is it is it 3 a.m. right now for you? Uh, it is 5 a.m. 5 a.m. Close enough. It's damn early. I apologize, but thank you for being here. From the Great White North, we got Curtis Boyle and Bill Noble. Hello, Curtis and Bill. Hello. Uh, we've got Mark Overholzer with us. First time on cam. How are you, Mark? Doing fine. And so far, the bandwidth has not broken the internet. We are pushing the internet's boundaries every day as we continue to use bandwidth. Uh, center uh, is Rick Adams. Hello, Rick. Thanks for being with us again. Uh-huh. And new to Coco Talk this week is Richard. How are you, Richard? Is, is it Chris Lip? Yeah, it is Chris Lip. If I was any better, you all wouldn't be able to stand me. That's right. And Frank Patel just said, hey, all. So Frank Patel is in the chat as well. Hi, Frank. Big West Purdue is here saying welcome to the Internet. D. Bruce Moore is here from Canada. Bruce Moore is here. Um, if you guys want to join us on Skype, uh, add, uh, add me as a friend on Skype and try to call me. I'll see if I can add you to the call. But thank you all for being here. This is the last week um, before Coco Fest. I know, I'm not the only one who's excited about going to Coco Fest next weekend. And uh, why don't we start off uh, with our guest from the furthest area away, but Nick Morentes is wearing a brand new shirt, a very, very handsome and dapper shirt on a very handsome and dapper man there. But uh, how do you like that pop star pilot shirt, Nick? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> it, it only took a week to get here. Only from, took a week from, from the no, U.S. to like, Australia. That's yeah. great. And, and so uh, that is something that is new for Coco Fest for 2017 is the fact that we will have Popstar Pilot t-shirts and copies of Popstar Pilot available to purchase at Coco Fest. Now, the problem, and did you get your new copy too, Nick? You have your new sealed uh, copy of Popstar. You got the first preview one. Okay. Is that the one with the white, uh, the white label? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, that's right. The, the first one we did has a white label, but um, that was just to test. And John Linville just joined us. Hey, John. So the um, the um, the white label was our test to see how quickly they could make it and what the quality was like. Um, we we have um, redesigned the package so the insert is a full color insert. So so what you will be able to have this year is you will be able to buy Popstar Pilot in person at Coco Fest. Now I was hoping to have a bunch of those T-shirts to bring with me to sell um, personally to everyone at Coco Fest, but when I looked into how much it was going to cost me out of pocket to pay for them, I 
just literally could not afford it. So I will have a few that I'm bringing for everybody to see, and then I'm hoping that everybody will just be able to order them online. And speaking of ordering online, I just got mine yesterday, and it does take exactly a week. I got the new I'm a Coconut t-shirt, and this is the one that's got the Coco cartoon. And so I will bring this to the show as well to sell. Uh, not to sell, but to show. I mean, if somebody wanted to buy it, they could. But I want to show you guys. I got the new Ama Coconut Coffee Mug with the color computer and the multi-pack and the CM8. And then I got the new uh, Ama Coconut Mug that has the colorful cocoa cartoon character. These are all drawn by, by Rick Adams' son, Joel M. Adams, also known as Instagram artist Joel M. Adams. And so, yeah, so that's very cool that, Nick, we're going to be able to represent your Popstar Pilot game and your T-shirt. So we start off with a plug. Why not? <laughs> Steve, Steve, you got to turn your camera on, though. What do you mean i got to turn my camera on? We can't see You're you. You're invisible. No, we can't see you at all. Ah. How about now? Sorry there about that. There you go. Yeah. There you go. There you how, are. How about those apples? Yeah. So, yeah. So, Nick, you like the shirt. Yeah, it's very good. Nice yeah. colors. Yeah. That's no, good. Good quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Now, I can go, go to the uh, nightclubs now and I look cool. <laughs> I heard okay. if you wear it long enough, it actually causes you to grow muscles too. So, that's <laughs> a muscle shirt, right? So, so that's cool. I'm glad you could join the call, Nick. Um, Big West Purdue says the crazy thing is I used to live close to Chicago, and it never occurred to me to look into the Coco community. Now I'm halfway across the country. Um, oh. D. Bruce, yeah. Well, we're glad you're here. Uh, we got, uh, I don't know what everybody wants to talk about. I thought we'd start off by, by showing off Nick's new shirt. I like that shirt. And yeah, I'll, I'll have some of those to look at. Um, I think I mentioned that. It was just too expensive to buy. I went to a local t-shirt shop thinking I could maybe save a couple bucks. I'm like, well, what can you guys make t-shirts for? Maybe I'll get you guys to make them and I'll buy them that way. But even then, it's still like $13, $14 to have these shirts made. So there was no inexpensive way for me to buy a dozen shirts and bring them with me. I just, just don't have that kind of cash right now. Um, but I did get a few printed as well that I can bring so everybody can see them. You can order them online. It takes exactly a week to get a shirt or a coffee mug. That way you get the size you want the color you want and there's free shipping right now all the way through coco fest i didn't plan this but the, the i don't make the website i don't make the materials it's just a company that does it they just happen to be running a promotion for 10 days so from april 13th through april 23rd free shipping with um, promo code fs417 so if you want to get your coco shirt or your coco mug now's the best time to do it and get free shipping on that good stuff good so stuff free shipping was so the free shipping was a week the free shipping uh, promo code is from April 13th through April 23rd. If you use that I mean, promo it code. A, it took a week to get there. It took a week. Um, yeah, I ordered it okay. using standard shipping. When I ordered mine, the free shipping promo wasn't out there yet. So right. I ordered mine last weekend. Um, and it, with standard shipping, I got it within a week. So it takes a certain amount of time mm -hmm. to produce them because they produce them on demand. But between the order, production, and shipping, we got them within a week. So pretty okay. good. Let's how much well, is I wasn't shipping? sure about that. Uh, standard shipping's like uh, I I ordered three items and I think it was about six bucks. So I ordered a T-shirt and two coffee mugs and it was like something like six dollars or something. It wasn't terribly expensive in the U.S. anyway. So I don't know what what was it to ship to Australia, Nick? Do you know? 
Oh, I can't remember. I, I just ripped the packet open, put the T-shirt on. and <laughs> But it's pretty impressive that, you know, that these things exist now. Like I've got one, one company I use to produce DVDs on demand and ship those out. I've got another company now that can make T-shirts and t- coffee mugs on demand, ship them out. And I've tried to find better prices. It's hard to find a, a good price on a low volume of anything. You know, when you're buying less than 100 of something, it's really hard to get a good price break on it, you know. Well, I waited. I went for the uh, the gold-plated shipping because I wanted to make darn good sure that it got here before Coco. Yeah, yeah. So, and and really, that's my fault. I should have ordered it way early. But so it sounds like I could have gone for the standard shipping and everything would have been fine. But did you did you get a date that looks like the delivery date will be in line with with Coco Fest? Oh yeah. Yeah. Are you driving to Coco Fest, Rick? Nope. I okay. Fly. Okay. So there you go. So yeah, it definitely has to be at your door before the day I you fly. I am not using United. I am not going to fly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so oh, I don't understand why not. Fly the friendly skies. Uh, Chappers is asking what um, what size shirts do they come in? They come in every single size, Chappers. If you go to the website, you can see we have infant sizes. We have onesies. We have child size T-shirts. We've got adults and women's T-shirts, coffee mugs, uh, possibly juice boxes for all I know. we got a little bit of everything <laughs> out there. So. <laughs> but all different sizes. Jimmy Alvarez is here. I hope you're having an awesome day, Steve. Hi, Jimmy. Mark Overholzer saying Coco Fest is next weekend, so that's what this is all about. Yeah, there was a couple of interesting discussions on the mailing list that I'll bring up whenever you guys want to. I don't know what else anybody here wants to talk about. Uh, I don't know, Rick, oh, if yeah. you want to talk about some things that are on your mind and on your plate, and now we have John Linville here, too. He might have some some pearls of knowledge to share with us. I, got a well, I am curious you, about what's on the mailing list. What time what was? I said that I was I was interested in what might be happening on the mailing list. Oh, what might? Well, the, I, the discussions I was going to be talking about on the mailing list were a few that came up this week. Um, one of the topics was we got into VCC, and a few people were talking about VCC. Um, I think that forked into a few different directions. I always try to bring up, Uh, an idea that's in my mind and i don't know if other people have felt this idea too that you know when we just when we talk about like last week we talked about the community and now there's there's different ways to communicate one way is the mailing list one way is facebook we now have our own way with with skype you know we're starting to create our own monsters here um but then you know we have three different emulators we've got vcc we've got xroar and we've got the mame slash mess so when that discussion came up i just asked the question you know you know does it doesn't make sense to maybe not concentrate our efforts but i realized there are different projects and there's different people involved and I don't know the the pros and cons to doing that. I'm somewhat of an outsider to the process, but it was just a thought I had. And, you know, a few good things were suggested there and a few other things were mentioned. But um, I don't have enough history to have a qualified opinion. I just more like like to ask questions. Um, But I don't know if anybody else wanted to chime in on their um, opinions (laughs) and histories uh, on the history of emulations and maybe some prior feelings. (laughs) Well, I think you're going to have people in all in all three camps, and I don't think you know. I think you're going to get you know them to uh, to give up their favorite emulator when you pry it from your cold dead hands. So, <laughs> and this is one of those things that people feel passionate about, and 
you know, one prefers one and another prefers another. And it's sort of like the toilet paper under, over, you know, controversy. <laughs> you'll, you'll never solve it. Well, my Ford's better than your Chevy. Yeah, my Ford's right. better than your Chevy. My computer can beat up your computer. Yeah. Right. My emulator can beat up your emulator. And there's there's, well, there's first on race day and there's found on road dead. So pick your... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, John. Repair daily. In fairness, I think the 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 real reason for the separation has it comes down to prioritization of what's important to people. Uh, And uh, I'll make my own statements about who what I think is important to which group. Um, uh, I've never made a for some certain. John, you are breaking up a lot. You have disappeared. Um, John, the uh, but so for XROAR, uh certainly prizes uh, 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 accuracy of much higher, and and nowadays Mame does as well. Uh, although of course Mame is most interested in being part of a bigger structure of emulation, and so it has its own rules that sometimes make it not. Not track or or uh, is in a hundred percent option for a given system like the Coco, um, but, but it comes down to we'll have prioritizations of what's important and I don't think it's a, which color do they like better? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if you can hear us clearly, John, but you are. Um, we are hearing every other word from you right now, so we're getting a lot of breakup on what you were saying. But I think we caught some of it. Okay, I'll try to speak more slowly. <laughs> <laughs> we need we need to work on our uh, hardware based handshaking here right now. So uh. <laughs> just go on video and do it in hand signals instead. <laughs> so some of it is preference, some of it is prioritization to who's running the project. I think we heard some of that. Um, yeah, well, like I say, it's prioritization about how, how the choices are made, um, you know, the, the ease of use versus accuracy. The VCC, my opinion, the VCC guys don't really care about how accurate the emulator is because I've shown them stuff that works that shouldn't work and stuff that doesn't work that does, and yep. they just get a, a shrug. Um, but, you know, they feel like they've got ease of use down pat. And I would and agree with that. Oh, okay. I kind of disagree with their ease of use, but that's because they equate windows with ease of use, which I don't make the mistake of doing. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Um. Anyway, um, you know, I, I, you know, I've got a lot of problems with the VCC project. I, I don't think it's run very well. Um, but you know, at least they finally made it truly open source. And so maybe somebody could do something with it eventually. And uh, that's the best hope I have for it. Okay. <laughs> so what is your favorite emulator? Is it, would it be XROAR or MAME? Yeah, those two. <laughs> okay. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of hard to pick between the two, right? Because I think they both... Just the, the problem that I see is that every single one has got something good about it and something that we wish was a little bit better or different. And so the fact yep. that there are three different projects and three different groups of individuals working on it, again, I, I you know, to me, I'm just... I'm a dreamer, I suppose, but it would just be great if we could maximize these efforts and just work on one utopian project but i guess that's just not the way things are in the world you know yeah and you're not including like the java ones the original dos ones that are still kicking around like jeff avasuers and a few others too yeah 
Yeah. Um, well, but that is also leading me towards uh, something I thought we would hopefully discuss at some point in time, too, is the, the, the recent uh, Ron Klein announcement where he's got this Raspberry Pi 3 running Cocoa emulation, which I'm assuming is running through MAME. Um, but I believe he has got it to be a very user-friendly Cocoa in a box. And, and I'm intrigued by this. I'm probably going to buy one. It's probably got me wanting to buy a pie now, which I never would have run out to the store to get anytime soon. Um, but, yeah, if I can have a cocoa in a box and just a neat way to take a cocoa with me and show it to people and stuff, that might be kind of cool, too. And, and how does that fa- factor into all these FPGA projects and other hardware-based projects, too? Does this, you know, now there's a third option. <laughs> well, there's a few hardware. big. Go ahead. I said the market's so big, you know, you got plenty of room for everybody. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. Very true. Very true. Um, for me, this would probably be a home run if it's plug and play and I can play games on it and I don't have to configure it and I don't have to solder anything or assemble anything. Um, I, you know, I'm not afraid of a soldering iron, but I just haven't flexed those muscles yet. One of these days I'll get into that. So I prefer my life spoon fed whenever possible. So um, I, I like a turnkey solution whenever I can get my hands on it. Well, I am. I'm yeah. scared of death for soldering iron. I've killed more things with a soldering iron. <laughs> <laughs> they probably had it coming to them anyways. <laughs> they did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not it's afraid true. of a soldering iron, but my soldering goo is not strong. Yeah, yeah. I figure my and first... I have killed something. My first few soldering projects will be on cadavers. I'm not going to try it on a live patient. I'm not going to try to learn how to solder on a perfectly good cocoa. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, grab a perfectly good Vic-20 instead. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll sacrifice some Ataris and Apple IIs to uh, get this yeah. soldering skills down. <laughs> I'm I using the word like perfectly good one. loosely there. <laughs> perfectly good. <laughs> bashing should be a two-way street right so uh, (laughs) (laughs) all right so uh, I think I asked you the question I don't know if you had an answer for us Mr. John Linville but are you able to play any sound demos for us of your incredible sound hardware board you're working on um well maybe except I'm out on the back porch uh, Ah. with a cigar (laughs) (laughs) Not right now. Okay. Excuses, excuses. (laughs) On the back porch with a cigar, being fed grapes. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, at least the testing of the the bank switching appears to work. I haven't actually put code, you know, in a ROM and had it switch banks and run that way. But in terms of probing the signals and, and telling it to switch banks, the signals seem to probe correctly. So, so that part looks good. Uh, so, should be a go on uh, on the hardware. Um, still building up a demo for the fest, uh, but uh, I think I've got something in line there. So, very very cool. Very. Well, I was going to say to Richard Chrislip, uh, I heard his voice. Uh, Richard, you know, you, it helps if you grasp the uh, the cool plastic end of the soldering iron. You'll do less damage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got the scars to prove that. <laughs> oh my goodness, nothing like a so little. I'm, so I'm not the only one who's melted their hair with a soldering iron. <laughs> 
Uh, how many times have I confused my curling iron for my soldering iron? Damn it. <laughs> uh, seat me for Benzomatic. Yeah, this is not a laser hair removal product, folks. So <laughs> it does work that way, but it's rather painful. <laughs> Nothing grows back after that. So. <laughs> Uh, so there was a there was a conversation about um, uh, updating to VCC. It's interesting um, VCC being the virtual color computer emulator. The the I I enjoyed listening to that story unfold on the Coco Crew podcast when we were talking about well it might go public domain and then now it's going to go public domain and so we kind of heard the, um, the the progress unfold over a few months on the Coco Crew podcast, which was just kind of cool to um, you know the great thing about the podcast is I was just thinking about this before the show started it's like for somebody like me who either doesn't have the time or doesn't have all the knowledge and skills and have the vocabulary um, what the podcast does for us in that news segment is it gives us you know so many sources of information it's the highlights of the mailing list it's the highlights of what happened on the Facebook group and and other things of retro interest too that aren't necessarily cocoa related but might be cocoa related and things like that so the podcast news segment is a great way to kind of distill all this information down and then anything you find interesting then you just click on the show notes and you, and you click on those shows but that was one of the stories that grabbed my interest I started on VCC and you know and, I'm, and I'll be the first person to wave the white flag of truce because I'm not here to bash any particular emulator at all I, I like them all I use them all um, and I started with the VCC. So VCC was how I started doing YouTube in the first place. And I think it was actually Curtis who pointed out, hey, but what's wrong with those red and blue colors? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that know? was me. And then I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's right. It's been so long since I used a Cocoa. I forgot what the colors look like. But then, you know, when I had to learn how to use XROAR, it wasn't directly user-friendly because when you double-click XROAR, you get a screen of garbage. You have to drop ROMs into a folder. Now, yeah, that's not the hardest thing in the world to do, but if you've never done it before, um, it was a learning process, you know? So I had to learn a little bit on setting up XROAR. MAME was an even a little bit more challenging one because not only do you have to drag in the ROMs, then you have to choose which Coco you want to launch, and then when you launch it, then you got to go through another hurdle to actually load software into it. So, um, I, I, from my experience, I think MAME is probably the best all-around emulator as far as the level of compatibility, but it's also the least um, simplest to use. You know, so yeah, I would yeah. agree. Yep, that's definitely true, uh, and you know, and there's good reasons for that. Um, but that doesn't mean that people prefer. <laughs> some people prefer the easy to use, even if it's not quite accurate. Others, you know, prefer prefer the accuracy, even if it's a pain in the butt. So right. I think you're always going to have that that stretch across. Right. Um, right. Mm -hmm. Since you mentioned the podcast news, uh, you know, I, I usually put that together. Uh, and you mentioned that some of the stuff's not strictly speaking cocoa. The reason why I put those in there is because usually if it's in that category, it's a project that could have been done on a cocoa, mm -hmm. or in my opinion, could have been. Right. <laughs> and so it's sort of designed to be inspirational. Um, anyway, and if I could also switch hats to my open source hat. Uh, so for those that don't know, don't know, I have some amount of, of uh, cachet, shall we say, in the Linux world. <laughs> Um, the real problem with VCC, it, it is open source in terms of the sources on GitHub if you want it. Uh, the problem is is that the, the, the governance model there is uh, such that you've got kind of a tyrant maintainer. <laughs> and I don't necessarily mean that to be pejorative. It, 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 it's, it's just that um, you've got somebody who wants to control every little thing. 
and that's not very conducive to getting a lot of good development uh, in in the open source world. Um, and so that's why you've seen VCC kind of stagnate, in my opinion, because even though it's open source, you know, um, the people that are running the project don't really believe in open source. Is, is I guess okay. that's just the most straight way to say it. Um, but uh, you know, I don't know if you want to turn this into an open source discussion. Maybe we can have that some other time. <laughs> but but that's the real problem. I'll just get that off my chest. So the VCC okay. is stagnant because the people that are in charge of it uh, just you know they don't want to you know the, the whole community seems to to to, to develop uh, the, these these faces that pop up and that don't really believe in open source and they believe that somehow having multiple uh, uh, forks out there or variants out there is is bad and and while there are negatives to it uh, in some sense uh, the the pluses is that people can actually make changes and and develop code <laughs> right right <laughs> kind of the main thing that you want um, anyway sorry i'll I back away question. again and now this message Radio Shack TRS-80 put the world of color computing into your home. Instant loading program packs turn any color TV into an exciting game arcade. And there's more. The color computer is an educational aid, a home management tool, and up-to-the-minute electronic information service. The programmable, expandable TRS-80 color computer from $399 only at Radio Shack, the biggest name in little computers. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's me. It's Original Gamer Stevie Stroh. You know, gameplay goodness. To get your very own Gameplay Goodness DVDs featuring color computer games played by the original gamer Stevie Stroh, visit 8bit256.com and grab yourself a Coco Gaming DVD today. That's 8bit256.com for all of your Gameplay Goodness needs. You know, Gameplay Goodness. This is how we like to Hey, I'm John Strong, Strongware, author of Soviet Block, and you're watching the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. We now return you to Cocoa Talk. Is XRAR, is that strictly a dragon emulator, or, is, or has that been changed to work like a Coco now? It's, well, it's always... been Coco for a long time. Yeah, it's okay. forever. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's both Coco and, and Dragon, but it's not Coco 3. Okay. Can I talk for a second? Yeah, who, who was that? That was me. That's Rick. Rick, yes, um, by all means. Yeah, so I've tried all three of them. Uh, at first I tried MAME, and MAME is not very beginner-friendly. And I got so frustrated that I just sort of dropped it. And then somebody turned me on to BCC, which is, you know, as you know, is not the best. But it certainly, for me, was the most beginner-friendly. Um, <coughs> And I could bring it up, and I could have a cocoa right away, and I could load things right away, and it's you know it's not the most accurate uh, as far as the uh, uh, artifact colors, uh, but and then somebody told me about XROR, so I tried that, and I liked XROR, and the only thing I don't like about it is that I haven't quite figured out yet uh, how to make it so that uh, like when I bring it up. Uh, there's all kinds of settings that I need to set before it will do good things for me. Mm -hmm. And then, and then it works great. And then I close it 
and then I bring it up again, and all those settings are gone. Mm, yeah. So yeah. there's a way around that, and I just haven't learned it yet. It, yeah. I think that you have to have uh, command line arguments that set up all the settings and or like a settings file. And I just don't know the secret password yet. Yeah, either one so, of those uh, is true. Uh, does X4 does X4 is it supposed to store its stuff in an INI file at all when you when you set the settings or it's not even supposed to do that? I haven't used it a lot myself. I would assume and I would hope that the answer is it is supposed to, but I can't say with any certainty that it actually does. Um, I, I know in the past I was able to get mine to at least default to the U.S. Cocoa. And it was, and so what I did is because I'm running Windows, I modified the properties of the icon and I just put dash Cocoa U.S. after the whole executable right. path. And that seemed to work. Now, the, the, the most recent version that I gave you, Rick, when I put it in the Skype group is they actually updated it again just recently. And I think some of the parameters are now different than they had been in the past. So um, mine still defaults to Cocoa U.S. US, and I think mine is, I also found that config file. I don't remember what it was called, but I was able to put a few things into a config file, and I think I am able to get it to stick to the, the important settings anyways. Um, mm -hmm. But again, I don't play with it enough to, to claim any expertise on that. And the fact that you have I to go through all this to learn how to do this is, is proof is, that Rick's right. It needs to be made more friendly. There yeah. should just be a settings, you know, save settings. In the yeah, That's all they need to add. I've had problems with with even VCC saving its settings on modern versions of Windows. And the problem is that the default permissions on uh, where it's saving it in program files. Right, right. In files oh. folder, right. Windows, do, not yes. have, do, do not have, you don't have the rights to write in there. And so the simple solution to this is to go to the uh, program files VCC folder, right click on it, go to the security tab, go to uh, add, say add users and say full permission and then save it. And then problem is gone. Right. I did something similar. I just moved yeah. mine to a different folder. But once again, that's going against yeah. the beginner yeah, that, philosophy. Exactly. Again. No, yeah, yeah. And that's, right. that's I hear you. Yeah, that's kind of an oversight or undersight by the programmers or the whoever made the installer to not realize those basic permissions. Um, the previous version, before it went open source, it was basically a zip file, and you just extract the zip file and stuck it anywhere. So you automatically had the right permissions to wherever you put it. Now it's running an installer, and the installer is running under whatever account it's running under doesn't take into the consideration you could also manually change the destination folder and not have it installed under c slash program files if you installed it anywhere else that would but again we're getting back to all these things we're saying right now are things that we shouldn't have to discuss if it was a more encompassing design um, some of the challenges right so i know that xroar has some things that, that you know that are going for it that I would prefer if I could get, you know, if I could figure out how to do it, use it without driving myself crazy. Uh, I believe it runs under Linux. Is that right? Xroars will run on anything. Yeah, it runs on Mac yeah. too, native uh, Windows, Mac, or Linux. It's it's cross-platform. I would love to run it on my Raspberry Pi. That I couldn't tell you about, but that might that. Does anybody yep. else know if it runs on Raspberry Pi? There's no reason it shouldn't. No. If it runs on Linux, should be good. Yeah, that's something that Ron Klein could probably speak to as well because he's doing the current Raspberry Pi um, mm -hmm. Cocoa in a Box solution right now. 
I, th I think you'll need a copy of it for Linux ARM, of course, versus Linux Intel, but... Right. Well, you'll get the right tools to compile it. But yeah, Xroar is native Linux uh, development from, you know, that's sort of its native environment. So, it, um, you know, Linux ought to be the best platform to run it on if there's any right. difference. So that's a pretty attractive uh, deal for me. Yeah. I wanted to mention on this call as a, as a quick hack, as it were, to get VCC running most anywhere, because there's a package called Wine, and Wine allows Windows binaries to run on non-Windows systems. You just stole my thunder. I was getting ready to put, put, put that in, because I run VCC on Linux via Wine all the time. And, and as, the person, as the person who actually bottled a Wine into an app, Along with VCC, I, I've got a, a, a VCC package that runs on Mac, and it looks like a native application. Oh, nice. So, yep. That's actually I, I, I just ran that, actually, to be honest. I just downloaded it after you mentioned it last time. It does seem to be not quite as stable as it is under Windows. Like, I've had to crash a couple of times, but it, otherwise it runs fine. <laughs> it, it, In my which version of Mac OS are you running it on? Uh, the latest, whatever that is. 10, 10 12? 1012.4. Okay, that's interesting because that's what I'm running it on, and I haven't had it. Uh, I haven't had. It, it's it not like it consistently crashed. I just had it crash a couple times, and I have not had that happen on Windows. So I've, Is it I've had problems. You doing something specific? Uh, I was mucking with a whole bunch of stuff, so I'd have to see if I could reconstruct exactly what I was doing if I can get it to you know consistently do it on uh, one specific app no. or something. I was just fiddling with uh, okay. it. I wasn't paying attention. There, there, it has a problem. It has a problem with full screen mode. Um, it doesn't handle full screen mode very well, and it does have a couple of settings that, that throw it for a loop. But other than that, I found it to be quite usable. Yeah. Um, I was running programs under it fine. I just there was a certain couple of things, and I like I said, I was rapidly firing things at to see how it worked, and a couple of things crashed. I wasn't really keeping track of it though, because I didn't really have time at the time. But I'll get more into it later when I have time. Okay. There's an interesting thing about Wine, though, that I wanted to mention. Since we want to get VCC to be cross-platform, okay? Besides being able to run as a runtime, Wine has a development uh, uh, arm, as it were, that, you know, is a library that you can take Windows C, uh, source code and load this library and link this library with the code as it's compiled. And if you do that, what will happen is you'll produce a native binary for Linux or a native binary for Mac OS that won't require the runtime. And it will actually run natively without the line runtime. Yeah, that just remaps the API calls to, for the Windows calls to your native OS, right? Remember? Yep, that's what it does, yeah. yeah. And that gives you, you know, now you're running under that machine's, once you get the, uh, the make file set up and everything for that and you get it to load, you know, then you, you very quickly, now you have it running and compiling on that machine. And then from there, you can gradually start uh, <coughs> changing stuff in the source. Rather mm -hmm. than all at once having to go through, you can gradually so go complete, through. It's and not a complete rewrite at that point. Right. It's a right. gradual rewrite. Right, right. And for that matter, a lot of stuff, you can just leave it calling the line lib, you know, because it really doesn't affect the way that, I mean, you're, you're essentially calling a version of DirectX for that particular platform at that, because that's what Wine has built into it. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. 
You can do a gradual pour, gradually optimize it as you go through it. So, yeah, and then that's, you put that's in how I do it. If defs, et cetera. You put in if defs and you tweak it so it runs better on the other platforms, and it becomes a native binary that just runs with a wine lib, uh, you know, linked in. Has anyone tried running mess UI with with the mess emulator? That's what I do, and I get a graphic Windows point and click interface for our mess. Seems to work fine for me. Does that also launch the games themselves too? Because I've, yeah. I've uh, yeah. so you can launch the game uh, through the that's right. That's right. It gives you a pull down menu. You can attach a, uh, a DSK file, uh, and then you just use it like VCC. You can um, open the DS, do a directory, right. run a program. It's just gives a mess a whole new right. Right, right, right. Yeah, That's I've used the, I've used the Mame UI when I used to play arcade games in Mame, but I haven't tried extending yeah, that to Coco. Thing. Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. It's you called Mess UI. You guys may not be aware, but the newest versions of Mame, which are also Mess, it's now merged into one yeah. source line. Yeah. Have not uh, so much a UI, but it has an interface on it now, which is built in, which is a comprehensive interface. It didn't used to be. It's but a dust launch it with no arguments at all it comes up and it does have a mouse so i guess it's a you know it is a, a gui because it is graphical what yeah. it's just not very pretty but it is it is fairly functional you can uh, select the system that you want to emulate off of a menu you can once the system is launched there's a couple hotkeys you have to know but if you know those hotkeys you can press it, it comes up with another menu that you can select to, to mount uh, discs um, and mount the uh, you know the software that you want and change the options and then go back to the emulator. Yeah, it saves the options. So once you get it set up the way you want, it does save it. So when it you remembers, yeah, it remembers where you were last too when you go to open up a disk. Yeah. Yeah. So it's gotten a lot. Mame has actually gotten a lot more user friendly. The biggest problem I've had with Mame MS is because it emulates so many systems and there's so many people updating it. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the coders don't validate their their updates and patches. Um, somebody else will submit something for the 6809 core or some of the one of the other chips that the Coco uses, and it will temporarily on that release break the Coco emulation. Yeah, that's so, been an ongoing problem with with Mame and Mess. Yeah, so what I've I've been doing is I've been finding certain releases and testing them to make sure that for a lot of the popular systems that I use all the time, that the the code works and generally the thing is solid. And I've I've uh, I've published for the Macintosh. I published a compile of that release on uh, www.macmess.org, which is Tim Lindell's site. Hmm. Okay. I, I think that all feeds into the whole discussion that we've been having is that all these emulators have their nuances and idiosyncrasies that makes none of them completely perfect, you know, and and I don't think there is a perfect solution. I think one of the things I was suggesting or just asking on that thread in the mailing list is wouldn't it be nice in some utopian scenario where we had all these brilliant people working together on one holy grail emulator that addressed all the issues cross-platform user interface compatibility you know reliability all these things ease we've of got use yeah. ease of use we've got these different projects and different people it'd be wonderful to have 
everybody work together. Again, that's a utopian thing, uh, and you know, so uh, the, unfortunately, none of them are, are perfect. You know, I, I think BCC has the ability to to, to be that um, because its source license is such that you can adapt stuff from other. You know, you can, what happens? Mess and Mame has a source license that is restrictive in in some senses and the the way that they have that uh project set up it will never be the co perfect color computer emulator because their mandate is not to get um, you know perfect emulation of one system their project goal is to get ideal perfect low level emulation of as many systems as possible no, I don't so, know if that's completely true with, with yeah. XROAR. XROAR is pretty single-focused. It's, you know, Coco and Dragon XROAR is single-focused. XROAR is single-focused, but it totally lacks all of the Coco 3 functionality, which is substantial and would require quite a bit of updates to get that in there, probably. Right. VCC already, emulate, VCC already emulates a Color Computer 3 and has a very good interface, the only issues that it has is that it's not cross-platform, and you know, if we can just get, if we can get the thing to build with a make file with with the Wine library and development uh, toolkit, then we just we just killed that bird with that stone. Well, yeah, well, you, and you kind of came late to the discussion too, because a lot of this we kind of already went over too. But no, I mean these are all. Yeah, you say I, I I don't know that there's an answer. There 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 are questions. I don't know that there's an answer. I think if the, I think if there was any two projects that probably make the most sense, it would probably be VCC and XROR since they are more focused. Where Mame is not, even though Mame has got a lot of great things about it. Um, but again, I'm not driving these projects. I don't know how to work on these things. I'm not the guy to fix them. I'm just smart enough to maybe ask some questions. Um, there there are people. Other than I, who are the ones that are going to make some of these things happen. But, yeah, um, uh, it's a great topic. I, I think we probably beat the emulation discussion for now. Maybe we'll move on to some other things. I don't know what else you guys want to talk about as far as coming up to Cocoa Fest. Um, other things that were mentioned on the list this week or happened on Facebook or anything else? Uh, I just wanted to, to know there's always an answer. We just haven't found it yet. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> the truth is out there, as Mulder would say. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> is that David Ladd? David made it on. Yes. Is it David or is it Paco Atakte or is it Drencore? I can't keep up with you, uh -huh. sir. Which, yeah. which? Will the real David Ladd please stand up? <laughs> yeah. Just remember to touch the sheen. <laughs> no, not going sir. there. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, it would have helped if I didn't have my microphone muted. Otherwise, I would have chimed in on the XROAR stuff um, earlier. Um, Kieran did have a version that was building that was using the native graphics library on the Raspberry Pi, but that's been a couple of years ago. Um, so it was running. Um, if you download the, uh, what is it, RetroPie, um, they actually use XROAR in that compilation of emulators for the Pi. Oh, neat. So um, that's an option. Um, and the configuration file that you was talking about was uh, XROAR.config, uh, I believe, was the name of the file, and it's stored in the directory 
with it. Okay. Which is how you set the machine, RAM, um, whether or not you need the artifacting. Good stuff. Yeah, and the, and the actual website is pretty good. Between the help file and the website, um, there, there's a lot of information there. I haven't taken the time to drill in and figure out all the options, but I, I'm, I'm the kind of person where if, if it functions well enough and it's serving my needs, I don't push anything further than I need to because I've got so many other things to do with my time and I'm inherently lazy anyways. So, um, uh, but yeah, I do recall seeing those options in the past and I've tweaked them as needed. Um, uh, D. Bruce Moore is saying he heard something about playing music out of the cassette port and thoughts. And that also got me thinking about, are you, uh, so Curtis, you and I, when we interviewed the, um, the image producers and we were talking about the, you know, one of their products was the color learning lab. Mm -hmm. I just got mine in the mail. I've got a, almost a near pristine color learning lab with all of the cassettes. Do you remember what was on those cassettes? Was there any audio on there too, or is it just each one is an individual pre-programmed lesson. I think it's just pre-programmed lessons, but honestly, I don't remember. It's been decades since I've seen that. Yeah, I know because I remember when we were talking about it. I'm like, man, wouldn't that be a lovely thing to have? And I finally got it. It is, it is gorgeous. It's in the binder. It's got the book. All the cassettes are like they look like they've never been played. They're just so clean. Um, but I do seem to recall like some of the educational software. Maybe it was some of the computer children's computer workshop, the Sesame Street company. There were there certain games on cassette or educational titles on cassette where they actually had recorded narration and music and stuff and the software would control and pause the motor and play audio through the cassette port and through your TV speakers. I, I seem to recall there being more than one program that did that on the Coco. Yeah, there was that reading book series that did that too, wasn't there? Okay. I, I just like, don't remember. The Hound of the Baskervilles and stuff like that. There was a set. I remember it, who, who, I mean, it was sold through Radio Shack. I can't remember who made it, but... It was kind of a neat way to take advantage of that technology because um, it was an audio output device as well besides just... Yeah, yeah, you just do the motor on, audio on, and then if you had timed out your tape, now you had to take into consideration that some people had different tape drives and they would mm. run a little fast, a little slow, which caused a bit of an issue, which is why I think I don't think it was used too often unless you had like large gaps between lessons or something. Yeah, yeah. We will return after these messages. Hi, this is John Linville. And Neil Blanchard. We are the Coco Crew. I hope you're enjoying watching Stevie Strobe play video games, especially the Coco games. And when you're done with that, check out our podcast at CocoCrew.org. Hey guys, Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here, and if you're listening to Coco Talk, chances are you're interested in the Color Computer. If you'd like to find out more about the Color Computer, then visit my Coco Links page at imacoconut.com. There you will find communities, podcasts, YouTube channels, project sites, blog sites, hardware, software, buy, sell, trade, you name it. So for all things Color Computer, visit imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A, coconut. Dot com and tell them the original gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. This has been Andy. You're watching OG Gamer Stevie Stroh. So that was cool. Um, another discussion that came up on the mailing list this week, which I'll just try to pull up here real quick too, but it was it was started off by um, John Locke or Loche, Loche, and he said, I have never played a Coco game ever. I'm a newbie to the Coco. I grew up with uh, VIC-20s, but now I'm back, and uh, I, I would like to change this by playing some games. Can anyone re recommend the top three Coco 10 games or MC 10 games? And that opened up a pretty long thread. And so yeah. 
One of the first people that chimed in was Peter Satinsky of the uh, Trash Talk podcast. He said, my three uh, Coco game favorites are Wild Catting, Sands of Egypt, and Quest. Uh, Darren A. chimed in and, and gave some links to some NT- MC10 games, including uh, Lee Patterson's Bouncy Ball. But he did mention these would require the RAM expansion. Um, I chimed in and mentioned Curtis Boyle's Games List website, Neil Blanchard's Games Corner reviews on the podcast, and humbly mentioned my YouTube videos as well. I gave my list of being, you know, like um, there's a lot of the Steve Bjork games like Zaxxon and Pitfall 2 and Donkey King and Sailor Man, you know, Dungeons of Daggerath, I think we would all agree is probably one of our all time favorite Coco games. Um, then that brought up the discussion of. A space R and M M M and everything else. It's A space L. That's exactly, which is what I brought up because because <laughs> Curtis taught me that it's, it's easier on the left hand if you just do A space L. Um, William Astle, alternate. Yeah, William Astle chimed in, who was the guy who ported it from uh, ROM pack to disc, and he's saying that he found A L to be easier overall. Um, uh, I don't know who uh, Rightveld, Rightveld is it Rightveld or Reitveld? But he says my favorite games and Rick will like this: Temple of Rom number one, Canyon Climber number two, Downland number three. Rich Carrero said I always had a soft spot for Project Nebula, but Donkey King and Zaxxon, and of course Dungeons of Daggereth. Lee Patterson chimed in saying I second Bouncy Ball. You know the author of the game probably would. <laughs> Richard Lebrowski, uh, Double Back from Dale Lear. Uh, Rick's partner in crime, sub battle simulator for OS9, interbank incident for OS9, two OS9 games got an honorable mention here. Um, somebody else mentioned Project Nebula, but I never understood it because he didn't have the documentation. I had the same problem the first time I played it. Oh, you need two joysticks? Wow, what a difference! <laughs> Uh, Sierran uh, Anscombe chimed in and says everybody forgets to mention these games Airball and Lucifer's Kingdom and Rommel's Revenge and then he mentioned some dragon titles Tanglewood, Maniac Miner, Jet Set Willy and Rotab which I am not familiar with um, and Sub Battle Simulator. So these were a lot of people chiming in on what their favorite Coco games were. And I know we had get this. get a dis- different list from everybody. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> got their favorites because everybody's style of game and preference of game is different. Some people are casual gamers. Some people like shooters or fighters or puzzle games, you know. But that was a pretty good list. I, I thought this was a good time to bring up the topic again because I remember like a year ago, I was wanting to do a video like this where we would, we, and we had even compiled a top 10 list and it kind of I got distracted by something shiny Um, so um, it's probably worth bringing up that discussion again and maybe a future interview we'll try to do that again where we'll talk about first our top 10 favorite Coco 1 and 2 games and then our top 10 Coco 3 games you know and get everybody to weigh in on that but I thought that was a cool discussion so I don't know if you guys want to weigh in on what some of your own favorite games are and if you happen to be ones you wrote yourself that's fine too they can still be your favorites (laughs) they say they say your creations are like your children so you got to love them <laughs> I will say one thing, and, and I think Rick will get, get kick out of this too, because it was one of the most hated games for him and, and Dale. Um, but I've had some young grandkids around here lately, and Dino Wars or Dino Wars, you want to pronounce it, that's one of their favorites because they get to be a dinosaur and roar. They just love yeah. the game to death. They play it all the time. <laughs> I, I <laughs> that's like... one you guys chose to rip the cartridge apart for. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> I'd well, like to one defend of our, one of our favorites here that happened is. Uh, You're breaking up, Barry. We'll never I said know. one of our favorite. Look, 
We like to play here is Pegasus. It hasn't been made. Pegasus and yet. the Phantom Riders. Yeah, it's a great, a great uh, um, a Joust style inspired game. Photon's um, one of my favorites still. It's just an awesome puzzle game. Yeah, I haven't played I that like, one yet. I like still like Zaxxon. I heard a Zaxxon in the background. Yeah. Hmm? And Rick, what did you say? Raka 2. Raka 2. Oh, the two. old uh, Robert Arnstein. Text uh, Adventure. Text Adventure. Yep. I don't know if I ever beat that one, but I've, I've been toying with the idea of doing a text adventure as a YouTube video, and I think that might be one of the first ones I do. That one or possibly Bedlam, because it's probably small enough to finish in under an hour, I would hope. Whereas I think Pyramid, I don't remember ever beating Pyramid, but I just remember spending what felt like hundreds of hours playing Pyramid. And, <laughs> that stupid maze. And, and being lost in the desert and dying <coughs> countless times. So, yeah, I, I uh, would probably pick Racket 2, two out of those three, because Bedlam yeah. can have different endings depending on how it randomizes. Yes, the which is so kind of cool. Yeah. Racket 2 is more of a fixed plot. So. Yeah. Well, for Shanghai, I didn't waste a lot of time playing also. Uh, there's a plug for Shanghai. Uh, Pyramid, I think, was a ripoff of the Colossal Cave of Mystery. There was one of the ones. I don't remember which one it was, but I think it was that one. Something with a G. Well, it was a ripoff of Morjong, my Jong. Talking about Shanghai. Well, we're talking to the oh, yeah. author. Of, we're talking to the author of Shanghai here, so I think he could probably. Tell you. Um, well. I'm glad he can't reach me. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, um, oh, no, it, it is a Mahjong game. It is yeah, a Mahjong I mean, Mahjong's game. been around for hundreds of years. It's a tile yes. game in real life, so. <laughs> Bruce Moore says Wumpus. Now, that was a game. <laughs> it was. Hunt the Wumpus. Yeah. Big West Purdue says, how about some love for Downland? I think Downland was was uh, was oh. mentioned. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's um, cool. Uh, Bruce Moore hears something about playing music out of the cassette port. Then he says, how about generating digital WAV files out of the cassette port? Um, I think that would require you playing the tape and then just recording that sound as, uh, with a digital sound recorder. I'm not sure, though. You guys have any answer on how to take an audio cassette and turn it into a digital file? If I remember correctly, the cassette port's a one bit, so you'd have to digitize it as one bit sampling. Ah, uh, okay, one bit sampling. I know, I know the digitizers sound. on the Coco 1 and 2 that used to do it, used to use the joystick ports, you get six bit sampling and you you get better fidelity. Yeah, that's one thing I've never messed with on emulators is I've never tried loading a pre-recorded um, cassette into an emulator. I've always used either a disk image or a ROM image. Okay, Bruce is saying not a cassette. What are you saying then, Bruce? How about generating digital wave files out? Oh, digi generating wave files out of the cassette port, firing sound out via programming. Okay, that's that's what he's saying there. Um, so, is there a way to fire sound out of the cassette port via programming? Yeah, I mean, that's pr oh, yeah. pretty well said. Writing routines, doing, and Nick did that for the old Tier City Model 1 and 3 games back in the day. That's how we got uh, sound there, right? Like like the Dancing de Demon and things like that, that was sound going out of the cassette port? Yeah, and then Model 1 and 3, that's the only sound port they had, so. Yeah. And so how are you generating sound that translated to the speaker? Because the speaker is not doing digital to analog conversion or anything like that, is it? For which one? The model for, one three? for the Model One, yeah. How did the, how did that translate the, from bits into the tones? Internal analog to digital converter in the Coco can be routed to the speaker, the cassette, uh, various things. So it's it's all one and the same. 
you're just choosing where you're going to route that sound. So yeah, and you yeah. can enable the one and six bit sound at the same time too, can't you? Um, I think that's what Dagrath does. It's to do the heartbeat tried. with one bit and the rest with six. Yeah, I can't remember if you can enable them at the same time. Depends on whether the multiplexer allows that. I've never used the one bit sound, so. Okay, so, but it sounds like that is possible, Bruce. You might just see. Yeah, I'm probably not doing your question justice, so uh, sorry about that. Uh, what the heck just happened here? Too, I have emojis on my screen that I don't want. I don't know how to get rid of the emojis here. Uh, but uh, Ghost Rider is here from Australia. G'day, Ghost Rider. And if you're asking if I can play Ark Survival Evolved right now, unfortunately, I can't right now. Uh, we're in the middle of an interview here, but yeah. And I just wanted to let you know, guys, that we're about an hour in, and we kind of tentatively set this for about a two-hour time frame. We got plenty of time to talk about whatever we want to talk about. But just to give you an idea on on where we are in the show right now. Um, uh, okay, so Bruce also says, by the way. I recorded my 17-year-old voice into a game that I sold to T&D Software. Freaked me out to find that a decade later I had lost the original. Ah. <laughs> that would be kind of cool. I don't have any recordings of things I did with my Coco. Like, I wish I even had, like, what Rick had, like, even, like, a VHS recording of some stuff I had done in my old basic games and stuff. I've got nothing but what I think I remember about my old programs. I've got no physical copies or recordings of them. So that is kind of cool to find a, a slice of the past and, and be able to look at it again, you know. Definitely cool stuff. Oh, here's, so here's one of the things I also want to bring up here, too. I want to bring up, um, let me pull up the email, because it was recently um, sent out. Uh, Tony Pedraza, the president of the Glenside Computer Club, sent out an email showing the floor plan. So I'm going to go ahead and pull that up, and I'm going to show you guys. Has everybody had a chance to look at that, where you will tentatively be if you are an exhibitor and you have a table? Um and if not, I'm going to pull it up on the screen here in just a minute. Uh, I'm not sure how well this is going to translate, so bear with me as I try to switch focus on what my what my software is looking at here for just a teensy moment. So let's go to full screen. Uh, and I'm not sure how well you can see this, but this is the cocoa floor. Um, the, the top of the picture here is outside of the exhibitor room. This is where all the talks take place. And, and so the in, in the auction and everything here. So they're showing how we enter. Um, this is also not showing up very, let me try opening this with Google Sheets because it's sending, it's sent in as a Excel spreadsheet. Uh, it just, it doesn't get much bigger than that. Okay, so this is the exhibitor area here and this is where the talks will be taking place and the auctions and things like that. Um, these table uh, arrangements, are the, I don't know if these are the same because it looks like it's cut off right now, but I would imagine these back tables here are where the auction items were before, but they're showing what looks like a partition here. So I'm not sure if this space here is where the projector would be and where the talks would take place. I'm not sure where the seats are gonna go for sitting, but usually we set in this kind of area here and this was also some auction items back here. This is kind of the talk area. And then this is the exhibit hall. And let me see if I can't zoom in on this. How do you zoom in on a Google spreadsheet? I don't know. <laughs> is it just control arrows? No, control shift, shift mouse wheels not doing it. Uh, how do we go into the view here? Can I zoom in? I don't know. Um, can you guys see this okay on your screen? I'm not sure how it looks. Barely. 
Barely. And let me, let me, you know what I could probably do? I could probably just zoom in my browser window. That'll probably work. Here we go. So I'm there zooming in my browser window. Okay. So this is okay. the, ex let me, let me zoom it back one where I can fit the whole thing in. We'll go down to about 150%. So this is the table layout of the exhibitor area. And this looks fairly similar to last year because um, Brian, the music man, was in this corner here. Over here, Cloud9 Tech was here. This is where, um, uh, okay, I'm not sure what Petri technology is, but John Linville's in this corner. I think he was in the opposite corner last time. So yeah. I think Cloud9 was over there. So John Linville's here. Petri technology is here. Cloud9 tech is That's here. That's Boise, I presume, right? Um, is that Boise? Could be Boise Pete. Yeah, no. Boise Pete. Pete technology. There you go. Um, yep. So Neil Blanchard's got a nice little corner here. He's got a nice island of Neil's computer service here. So it's good to be Neil Blanchard over here, huh? Look at that with all his real estate. Geez, <laughs> <laughs> oh, John, did you tick Neil off? He split off from you. <laughs> oh, that's something else I want to mention, too. I'll mention yeah. that in just a well, second. Neil is actually uh, representing uh, – there's Neil – uh, Mike Rowan and uh, uh, Jim O'Keefe are all sharing space. Ah, so retro. Okay, there we go. We got a lot of people in there, so that's a nice shared space. Okay, uh, Mike Rowan and and okay, very cool. Yeah, lots of space there. I'm just having some fun ribbing with them anyway. So then we over here we have Frank Patel, we have BG Enterprise, Brian Goers. I don't know if I pronounced his name his name properly. Here's Richard. Is this you? Yahoo. Yahoo! Richard's got a table. Hawk Sauce got a table. Griff Art, that's Linda. Um, is that Linda Pedraza? Is that Tony's wife? Griff Art? I think so. Hawk Soft is okay. Chris Hawks and his wife. Okay. Now, Brendan Donahue, even though it's listed as Brendan Donahue, it's Donahue. And that's Brendan's uh, Coco VGA project. Then we have Bruce Moore over here, right around the corner. Uh, Andrew Weiler. Um, Lost Wizard Enterprises, that's William Astle. Uh, here's me, the OG over here. Off to the right, we've got Wally Grossman. This is Jim Brain here, Retro Innovation. So Jim Jim was actually where Brian Goers was last year in that kind of area. So Jim's over here. Jim's got two tables. Evan Wright is here. Um, down here on the on the, on the the back wall, we've got Brett Gordon and the Cocoa Boot and Fusix, Fuzix, Fuzix, Uzix, Weezix, Isix. Um, John Strong of Strongware is here. That's kind of similar to where he was last year. Richard Baer, uh, Computer Chess Explorations, John Mark Mobley, and Bargeman Research Labs over here, too. So this is the current um, exhibitor layout. Looking good. Looking really good. Yeah, so Bruce, you and I will be neighbors. I might have to come by for a cup of sugar or some peanut butter or jelly or something like that. Hey guys, Stevie Stroh here. And if you're a fan of vintage computing and retro gaming, you're going to love our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. Featuring hand-drawn custom designs and pixel art by Instagram artist Joel M. Adams. We've got the brand new official Coco Talk t-shirt, I'm a Coconut t-shirt, and all kinds of other cool video game and arcade related artwork. Check out 8bit256.com for all your retro swag needs today. This is Paco Otakte, and you are watching Original Gamer, Stevie Stroh. Um, very cool stuff. Um, so I, so I want to mention something else, uh, which is really a great segue and callback to the discussion of last week. Because last week we talked about... Um, All right, my buddy what, Max Headroom. 
what does it mean to be a member of the COCO community, right? And I thought that was a great discussion. So what had happened was, again, there was many things I wanted to do, many things I planned on doing. I wanted to bring a bunch of t-shirts, couldn't afford it. Okay, so now I'm like, okay, at least I'm going to bring a COCO. And I want to bring a COCO, and I want to be able to have Popstar Pilot playing at my table, and that way people can come and see the game and play the game and hopefully buy a copy of the game and maybe want to buy a t-shirt or a coffee mug online that says Popstar Pilots or I'm a coconut. So as a nice little thing and an attraction, um, and then it turns out I can't even fit the little TV I have in my suitcase to bring, and now I'm worried about, I'm also, I was worried about bringing my cocoa, but I figured, you know what, I'll try the cocoa, but I can't bring the TV. So I sent out an email to the color computer mailing list, and within minutes, got multiple responses. Frank Patel was one of them, Neil Blanchard chimed in, a bunch of people chimed in saying, and you know, you, this is a tall order. When you say, hey, does anybody have a spare Coco 3 with 512K RAM? It's not something that everybody just has extra laying around the house when this community maybe I'm wrong but <laughs> yeah you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> well, I have five Hewlett Packard uh, 1706 flat screens yeah so but but I threw out an email asking if anybody in the Chicago area who would be coming to Coco Fest could maybe bring a loner Coco 3 so I could show off Popstar Pilot and the response was overwhelming and so we, I think we're going to have multiple and, and Neil Blanchard came in says yeah I'll bring a Coco and I'll bring a monitor and I'll bring one of my Sega gamepad adapters so we can play it on a Sega gamepad and that game really should be played on a digital controller anyway so yeah this um, a ton of people chimed in in a reasonably short amount of time so you want to talk about a community that is community in action right there so yeah i am so glad that at least some of the things i wanted to do are going to come to fruition and i'm i'm really really excited about helping have nick morentis have a presence and be there in spirit this year you know i think the game is worthy to be seen by as many people as possible so and thank you, Steve. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And, and, and the the uh, the uh, royalty checks you keep sending me have nothing to do with this. So. <laughs> <laughs> I will be any. I will sing anyone's praise for a recurring monthly paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> Extra plugs at the tip jars. I'll, I'll even talk wow. up Dino Wars if I have to. <laughs> So, yeah, I thought that was a great thing. So, um, so yeah, so getting back to favorite Coco games, uh, you know, Temple of Rom is up there. Double Back is up there with me. Um, Dungeons of Daggereth definitely won. Um, Zaxxon, great game. Donkey King, great game. So many great games. Um, those are some Draconian. of my favorites. Dra Draconian, great game. That's that's the problem. When you somebody's, you can't. You, it's hard to remember. I mean, honestly, it's there are so many games and so many good games. It's it's it, it blows the mind. It boggles the mind sometimes. Farfall, Popstar Pilot. You'd have to pick the best three to your mood at that time. Like sometimes I want to play a long game, so I'll play Dungeons and Daggerath. If I want a quick short game, Donkey King kills me off pretty quick, so that's yes. a quick short game. Yeah. <laughs> it just depends. Oh, man. Xmas Rush. Xmas Rush, another great game. Another great game. We need an Easter Rush, you know? Um, we need... Uh, we we need we need a game for all seasons and all occasions. <laughs> I thought oh. about reskinning Xmas Rush with rabbits. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> <laughs> rabbits and eggs, yeah. Rabbits and eggs. 
I, I guess it's hard to say what is uh, asking people what's your favourite game because I mean it also depends on what their favourite genre is or yeah. you know some people like arcade games others like card games so you probably have to say well what's what's for each person what's your favourite arcade game what's your favourite puzzle game what's your favourite strategy game strategy. yeah otherwise you're going to get a big mishmash yeah 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 the the great My thing is this Coco arcade game is Downland. Downland's a great game. Uh, non arcade is Shanghai. There you go. But I heard that Shanghai. That Shanghai isn't that just a rip off of Mahjong? <laughs> I refuse to answer that grounds might criminate me. Be the fifth. Wow. What, it, so it, who's, it, who's the author of that? The call, by the way. <laughs> well, that was the whole problem. We couldn't get officially licensed titles, so we had to have these hacky clones. So this is a mahjong clone. <laughs> who's the author that's uh, that's of that that's on the call? Oh, uh, that's Rick Adams. Rick Adams. Yep. <laughs> I would, I would like to congratulate you for writing an excellent rendition of uh, of Mahjong for the Coco. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yours is the only one that had the dragon come through when you won. Yeah, a little piece of it anyway. Yeah, not the whole thing, unfortunately. Still want to see yeah, that I'm sometime. Kinda, <laughs> I'm kind of salty about that. Well, I'm bringing the discs. Well, so. you, that might be another well, project for a future for future. Yeah, time. you can give the updated one with the full dragon. <laughs> yeah, he left the rest of the dragon on uh, the last ninja. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the first one. Ouch, John. Oh, bird, bird. Uh, Why not just stab a hot poker in his eye? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, Steve would have wrote it better anyway, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> in in basic. Uh, <laughs> oh man I'm enjoying working on basic again too failure is an orphan but everyone hey, you loves a good you going to do this basic um, tour uh, I'm sorry uh, can you repeat tutor? the question you going to do the disc basic tutor like you're doing for basic uh, I, I think it's probably worth going over a handful of commands that seem you know, applicable. That could probably be done in a short amount of time. I haven't looked at the book yet. I mean, I'm kind of already doing saving right now to disc, but yeah, it's probably worth doing that. Um, you know, I, I haven't thought this completely through. I have some basic ideas. Uh, you know, I, I, when, I, when, I, when I started redoing it again, I realized I started this a year and a half ago. And last year, I wanted to have it finished before this Cocoa Fest so I could have a project to show at Cocoa Fest. And you see how well that worked out. Um, so I, I'm kind of, I don't want to say in a rush, but I want to say I'm hyper-motivated to finish going through the chapters so I can start working on a project. So doing Disk Basic may or may not take me away from a project so I'm not sure if that's uh, an immediate priority for me but it's worth doing um, I also think it's probably going to be worth a second um, series of going through the differences between Coco 1 and 2 basic and Coco 3 basic with the extra modes but I probably won't do that right away um, but I probably will but I'm also anxious to jump into learning assembly which I wanted to start last year too Ooh, that's so fun. you know so there's a lot of things I want to do uh, it's just, you know, finding the time and managing the time. So I, I think that's disk extended color basic. A handful of commands are worth talking about. 
Um, and I think Cocoa. Yeah, the ones you need for a game, like for your project type thing. Like if you want to open and load files and save files and write write data to disk and load data from disk. Yeah. Um, I used to cheat and run a third party editor, draw all my graphics, save them as a bin file, and just load them into the PMode four page and get and put everything that way. That's. Um, that's that's what I did for a rainbow. Uh, it was like a uh, geography uh, test, and it would sit there and draw the maps of all the countries, and you had to guess the capitals or something like that. Oh, yeah, that's neat. And what I did was exactly your – I rewrote that program and, and brought in the, the – uh, the name of it is escaping me, but screen dumps rather yeah. than have to draw it. Mm-hmm sped the program up immensely right because yeah. you don't you don't have to code the graphics at that point i want to see see steve do an os9 um tutorial yeah I well curtis and i talked about that yeah yeah curtis and i talked about that i'm first time users view of os9 yeah and it, yeah yep. then we'll watch the rage quit in full force <laughs> yeah <laughs> procrastination and everything um Curtis was showing me Basic 09. We we he showed me some of the stuff on there, and it is wicked That's fast. The tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Wait yeah. to get into OS 9, you'd be drowning. <laughs> but as, I, as, as daunting as OS 9 is, I would say it is probably a good platform to learn assembly in because the assembly tools that are under OS 9 and the system calls that you have that. Yeah, you don't you know, have to do everything by hand. Yeah. 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 So, I was watching. I, mean, I was watching Curtis compile and run programs and switch between programs running and programs compiling and showing me basic 09 uh i mean the multitasking ability of it i was really impressed with yeah because i think i was playing fexter and rescue and fractalist while i was assembling and editing another <laughs> window or something they weren't and, all running at full speed mind you but but yeah but then showed me basic 09 at the same time so you switch between like two games an assembler and another programming environment um on a coco <laughs> Well, the fact that you don't have to muck around with uh, setting the bits in the hardware and you know for the screen modes and whatnot, you can call, you know, you can just call. Essentially, you can call a print if you want to print something. Cause, you know, I, I mean, you know, make yeah, like all your text easier. fonts are supported. You you can turn the mouse tracking on automatically, so you don't have to sit there and track a mouse if you're doing a mouse game. You just tell it where, you go draw all that all stuff and get back. To that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it yeah. Makes, it makes that, it a lot easier to concentrate on learning the actual assembly commands rather than having to learn the assembly commands and the hardware and how the machine works at the same time. Yeah, you can do it in smaller chunks. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's a wrong way to the path of knowledge, but um, I also think for me, I like I, I like doing things the hard way. So I definitely, I think as much as that is a cool idea. I don't think I want to fast track my my journey on assembly too much. I do want to go through some struggle. Um, oh, I feel, you will. Oh yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Because especially when I'm looking at the the panel of people here and the things you guys have done, you've you've you know you've been through the struggles. And as much as I know, I would have a million people help me, like Nick and Curtis and Simon Jonas. And there's a million people that could help me, and I'll definitely knock on those doors. I want to experience some of these trials and tribulations myself. They're character builders. They give you an appreciation, and you learn more. You really do. If you have to figure crap out, yep, you learn it, and you know what I mean. And so the best lessons in life learns the ones uh, those hard lessons you know so um 
I I, I want to have to I want to get my hands dirty and I want to sweat a little bit. You know, I'll 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 borrow some help, but I want to I want to look back at whatever I did, whatever piece of crap I end up putting on that plate, and say, you know what, this is the worst freaking piece of burnt fish you've ever seen. But damn it, I work on it. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, it's been rather fun watching Rick kind of get reacquainted with all this. Yeah, he's been, yeah. He's been going through the same thing, like trying to remember how he did certain things, and then and then it comes back, and then all of a sudden he's on a roll and. That's been yeah, really fun neat. to watch. That's neat. Yeah, I'm even for me. Yeah. Hey, Steve? Yeah. Um, now, I've downloaded so far all your basic in, uh, tutorials. Yeah. That you've done uh, all 19 of them. And uh, I was thinking I was going to put them on a, uh, I have a uh, video assembly program. I was thinking of putting them on a DVD complete with menu. Have you already done that? Because I, I haven't. Because I haven't. the wheel. I haven't done it. I was thinking about releasing it as a DVD, but I don't know how, because some of these things are like 45 minutes each. I'm not sure how many you can get on one disc. I'm thinking right you now, might get about four per disc to have decent quality. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to, I'll try it and see what I get, what I come up with. Yeah. yeah I you, you can't drop the quality too much because you're trying to read the text on the screen, you know, from yeah, the true. manuals. That's the problem. If you compress it a lot, you could fit a lot, but. Right. I'll give it a shot and see what it looks like. Yeah, let me know. Let me know and just hit me up. Um, you know, I mean, I have DVD authoring software and I have uh, a, a web service that can produce them and send it out, but I haven't tried making it. I mean, to be honest, I'm surprised anybody watches them at all. So when you say you watch 19 of them, the first thing I want to say is I'm sorry. <laughs> because it's just like that is like 19 hours of your life you'll never get back, and there's nothing I can do to make that up to you. <laughs> I'm watching you rage quit when you forgot to type some lines. It's totally uh, worth it. You know, it, and it, it, it is so strange because I, you know, I've spent two years trying to create a channel of playing games and get people interested in my games. And the things that people are more interested in is me talking about a 35-year-old dead language. You know, that, that is getting more views than a modern game is getting right now. So you can't predict what people are going to enjoy. Um, and I'm just glad that anybody's watching it because for me, uh, it's I'm doing it for me. And then I figured initially I thought there might be a couple of kids who might want to pick up on this. But there's adults who are watching it too. So I find that I didn't expect that. And I find that interesting. Thing. Hey, we're kids uh, at heart. Yeah, exactly. You know, so uh, yeah, it's fun. It's I mean, I did I programmed for like six years straight on the Cocoa every day of my life. You know, and it's just like anything else you do. It's like a foreign language. If you speak it a lot, it's it becomes fluent. It becomes second nature. You can think in that language, but when you haven't done it in a long time, there is a whole new process again. Um, so I like that process. I, I like the journey. I like the struggle. Um, I could have probably read that book in two or three weekends and just read it and started programming. But I also like the idea of sharing the journey, although it's taken me a year and a half now to do it. But um, sometimes I think some things are worth drawing out, you know. Um, I'm glad you watch it, though. I, pre I definitely appreciate that. And it sounds like you and Rick are kind of going on the same journey here, you know, going back to the the days of yore and, and remembering how to do things and then, you know, having those aha moments. And I remember why I did that. And Yeah, yeah that's neat. Well, I'm having, I'm so splat scattered. I've got HDD. I'm just, I, when I was teaching computers to my students, I would explain to them what happens to me in the basement. And, and that's how you do full interrupt driven multitasking because I'll start something, I'll get interrupted and I'll be over here doing something now. I get interrupted, next thing I'm doing something over here. And eventually I'll get racked when I started with and I might get done. Sounds like your scheduler needs some work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
going back to uh, assembly language programming, um, I was going to say uh, OS 9 will also force you to, to learn proper position-independent code as opposed to just you know, writing you know, and using all the instructions. Um, versus uh, if you do it in basic, I would suggest using the uh, deaf user calls and then writing sections of code that you call from basic again so that you don't have to try and, and learn everything all at once. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not sure how I'm going to make them, how I'm going to make the migration from one to the other. I know Alan Huffman's been doing a bunch of blogs on basic optimizations and assembly integration. I was probably going to look at some of those as well. So, yeah, when I get ready to make that transition, I think I've got, especially like the people here in this panel, I got a lot of people I can lean on to ask yeah. questions on how I should take the next step. So that's and, that's great. And Barry. there's more than one way to skin a cat. I mean, there's no right yeah. or wrong way. I mean, Barry has some good points there, but also like if you're trying to program a high-speed game, you might want to program to the metal and skip doing, you know, position-independent code because it does slow it down a little bit. So it, it just depends on what your focus is. Yeah, I, I, I mean, in, in the grand scheme, I would love to learn learn everything and learn all the different ways. You know, time crunch is going to limit what you can learn and how best use that knowledge and stuff like that but um uh, you know we got people here who are programming bare metal right now we have rick doing his we've got nick who did pop star pilot and who did you know not only did he write that bare metal game but he wrote it on the bare hardware when he could have taken an easier path to do that but he didn't so you know i think some people like the struggle or the journey or the authenticity of doing things a certain way and again there's no right or wrong way to do it which is kind of no. cool you know. I appreciated Nick's blogs while he was writing that too. Yeah, yeah. For for, for, so for some games, you do have to write to the bare metal, and you need to drop position-independent coding and stuff like that to get full speed. After these messages, we'll be right back. Something new is coming. Tandy Assembly. Tandy Assembly is about Radio Shack and Tandy Computers. Tandy Assembly is about interacting. Tandy Assembly is about people. Tandy Assembly is about fun. The first gathering of its kind. Computers of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. All Radio Shack and Tandy makes and models. Join, Join us. us. Don't miss Tandy Assembly. In Chillicothe, Ohio. October 7th and 8th. Whether you're near or far. Tandy Assembly is for everyone. Visit our webpage at www.tandyassembly.com. Tandy Assembly. Hi, I'm Mike Rowan, and you're watching the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. And when you're done watching, come over and listen to the Coco Crew podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It just depends on the project. I mean, it's whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Nick or Steve, hopefully what you get out of it is that you're happy with the result no matter which way you took Right, 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 right. It's really about learning, learning a new language. Because for, to me, it's almost like closure because assembly language is something I didn't attempt while I was still a teenager. And I actually went to college for programming thinking they were going to teach me assembly then, and they didn't. And I was like, well, this school sucks. <laughs> and so <laughs> I just never learned it. And so I, I look back did. saying, I, I just look back saying, man, I wish I learned assembly. And it's, I think that's a recurring theme of everybody who's into retro is like, 
what could I have done then? Or with the knowledge I have now, what can I do now? You know, and so I think that's a recurring theme um, of nostalgia, possibly closure, possibly just crossing something off your bucket list that you didn't get to. So for me, it's definitely a bucket list item because I wanted to, I didn't, and now I've got no excuse other than time not to do it. So, yeah. I think the other thing is too. I got like, to Coco. Was yeah. I graduated with a programming degree from Akron University, and I didn't want to lose. Because halfway through the degree, I realized I didn't want to program for Ohio Edison because something happened there that made me realize, no, I don't want to do this for a living. But I didn't want to lose what I learned, so I bought the Coco. And they did teach assembly. It was IBM assembly, but they taught assembly. Okay. And the thing I love about the Coco, you're right on the hard, you're right there down to hardware level. Uh, I tried to learn, uh, transfer that over to the Amiga. And there's a layer there that I just couldn't get my mind wrapped around. And the PC wasn't much different. <laughs> so um, that's what I like about the Coco. Yeah, I hear a lot of people saying that. I like I, I don't know the language yet, but I've heard that over and over again, that the 6809 is a joy to program for, for people who have worked on other chips and people who know assembly somewhat well. So I hear that a lot. I believe that to be true, and I'm looking forward to having that aha moment one day myself too. Yeah. There is something better than Yeah, go ahead, Nick. There, there is something better than the six eight oh nine now. Six three oh nine. Nick Marentes. <laughs> Nick Marentes is coming around to the dark side. <laughs> Next thing you know we'll get him to write an OS nine app too. So. <laughs> well, let's not get insane here. Well, wait a minute. You want you want me to do you want me to do what to my processor that's currently working? <laughs> just cut off its legs, throw the head away, and replace the entire thing. There's, n- there's yeah. nothing, nothing, nothing it's wrong no with that. It's no different than upgrading from Windows 3.1 to Windows 7. <laughs> it's a forklift upgrade. <laughs> How many people have a 6309, I wonder? That's a great survey to I throw out there. I've, I've got, got one. one here. Yeah, I've got one in my current I've Cocoa 3. I've got two going here. <laughs> I'm going to probably buy I'm going to buy the full package from uh, Cloud9 when I get to Cocoa Fest. I'm going to buy the 512K. If he's got the 6309 in socket, I'm going to grab those too. Um, I saw I saw a cool uh, it was on a mail list. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw where someone had a did an upgrade to from 6809 6309, but they did it in such a way they could flip between the two if they wanted to. Yeah. Oh, that's one neat. of the questions come across, well why could would you want to do that cuz I can. Because I can. Good, good answer. But there are some, if you, if there are some programs um, that I found that I've tried to load and they didn't work because uh, I had a 6309 in there and they wanted 6809. Really? Very, very few of those. You'd have to be using illegal instructions on purpose to do that. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, it was under OS yeah. 9 when things were happening that way. Ah, mm. there it is. Illegal. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably the the native. That's native mode versus emulation mode. That's no. different. That's a different situation. Uh, native mode on the 609 pushes extra registers on the stack. So if you get an interrupt and you have a program that was expecting stuff on the stack to be in certain spots on a 6809, it's not always in the same place. That's why you have the incompatibility there. But that's just native mode versus emulation. If you take a 6309 and run it in emulation mode, it, you won't have any of those problems. Hmm. Right, right. I understood that. Yeah. Bruce Moore says he's got a 6309. Frank Patel says I've got him on all but one of my Coco 3s. So it looks like there's a decent number of 6309 
um, owners out there. Um, well, there's, there's multiple advantages. I mean, one, the chip's much more powerful, as, as everybody knows, but it also it runs like way cooler. It takes way less power. Um, they generally last longer because of that too. So, yeah. and the rest of your cookware doesn't overheat as much either. So, yeah. Well, my cookware one needs a 6309 because I just blew it up today. I lived, not today, this week. Now, here's a dumb question. This that the 60. There's nothing that prevents a 6309 from working on a cocoa one or two as well, right? Nope, it's perfectly fine. So I, I might want to practice my soldering skills on one of my spare Coco 1 or 2s to go through the process of replacing a socket and a CPU once on the machine. I'm not worried about if it doesn't survive the surgery, you know? Yeah. I mean, a Coco 1 already has a socketed CPU. Yeah. But oh, yeah. Some of the Coco 2s do. Okay. Oh, it does? So. I, was, I, I never cracked the case yet. Uh, I, 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 put a, I didn't get a Disco... Uh, disc controller all the way in. I thought I did, and I didn't. I turned it on. I got this beautiful moray across the screen, and that was the end of it. Ouch. Bruce Moore says, I've got the 6309 and the 512 upgrade to reduce temperature and extend the life of my Coco 3. There you go. I think you get a discount on your homeowner's insurance, too, if you've got one of those. So. Is uh, you can save a bunch by bundling your car insurance and homeowners insurance and add a 512 and a 6309. <laughs> With Geico. With Geico, I guess, yes. I one guess one it's of the reasons um, I've never, one of the reasons I've never upgraded mine and probably won't until my CPU burns out. Hope it never does. Is because I, if I'm writing a program, like for instance the Cocoa Flash software that I just finished writing for uh, Jim's Cocoa Flash stuff. I want to make sure that it runs on the widest available possible array of platforms, which generally means writing it to the 6809 code. Yeah, but the 6809 emulation mode runs exactly the same anyway, so... Yeah. Let's have two There's machines, machines then. Mostly. Oh, oh, how does it not? Any problems. I've never come across uh, any Unless problems. you're running illegal instructions, it shouldn't have yeah. any change whatsoever. Because everything else works identical, cycle to cycle, as the original. Yeah. Getting back to that uh, DVD thing I was talking to you about. Yep. Uh, I just did a, a, a size check on the folder that I have, all those uh, 19 that you have. It's uh -huh. only two and a half gig. It'll fit on a four gig uh, DVD just fine. Now, when you're saying fitting on a DVD, you're not talking about converting it to then a DVD video that plays back, but just a DVD data disc that contains all the files? No, no, it'll be a video disc. It'll be a video disc. Okay. That'd be interesting to see. Yeah, so I'm, I'm almost to chapter 20, and I think there's 34 chapters in that book. So if, if the whole thing could be squeezed on one disc, then yeah, I would definitely, because it doesn't cost me anything to have it put online if somebody's crazy enough to want to buy it. I could definitely turn that into something if somebody wanted to buy it and play it at home and learn learn how to program in basic and watch an old man want to smash his keyboard. Um. <laughs> It'll be Stevie's Color Computer Learning Lab. <laughs> watch That's Grandpa get frustrated and uh, <laughs> almost have a heart attack. better to do. Go to www.thewebsiteisdown.com. There's some the really good videos on that. Is that a real link? Thewebsiteisdown.com? Yeah www.thewebsite.isdown. All right, you have my curiosity. Hold on one second while I pull <laughs> this up. Off screen, of course. <laughs> the website is down.com. What a cool URL. Okay. Okay, and, and is this your website? No, it's something I show to students occasionally. <laughs> okay. The website is down. Okay. 
The website is now in Remain Calm. Episode 3, Remain Calm. It demonstrates his special procedures for hot swap hard drive replacements using his steel-toed boot and his razor-thin patience. <laughs> oh, these guys are good. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. I love that. I've seen some of those videos where the guy says, how to upgrade your graphics card, and he starts doing stuff, and he breaks eggs and pours eggs into the tower and starts throwing all kinds of food and crap in there and stuff like that, and those, those videos are yeah, hilarious. Remain Calm will get you that. That's the one, but the yeah, sales yeah. demo... They're all great. <laughs> Big West Purdue does. What did Big West Purdue say? Did anyone ever find the 256 color mode that was apparently detailed in the original specifications of the Gimme? Um, did anybody find the elusive 256 color mode? I know Nick. Uh, Nick has an article about that on his blog. No, I would just throw out one more thing too. I'm going to switch scenes for just a second. But on my website now, I added this new feature. So anybody, if anybody's watching right now, and there's about a dozen people watching us, and probably half of them are us, but um, there's a few people watching us right now. Um, I put on my website, uh, my website, ogstevestro.com, I've got a link for Color Computer Link. So if anybody was saying, hey, I need to find out about these things, I've got a lot of things here that I've tried to um, assemble and compile. Um, if there's things you want to add, let me know. I'll add them. But another thing I added to my website, which was Alan Huffman's suggestion, which I think is a great suggestion, is I've now added a calendar. So since we scheduled this Cocoa Talk and we all agreed on the time we were going to do it, I went ahead and scheduled the Cocoa Talk. I put a post in the mail list I put a post in the Facebook group and I put it on the calendar in my website so if anybody in the future says hey um, you know what's going on with your new broadcast and what's your next show going to be on things that we have scheduled they'll be on my calendar there so I thought that was a great idea that Alan Huffman had to put that out there so if anybody's watching right now because I know there's a few people here like Jimmy Alvarez um, who is a little bit younger you know Jimmy's parents might not be old enough to rem to use the cocoa but yeah, so for some of you young whippersnappers out there, if you're interested in the color computer and where to find out more about it, um, a good place to go to would just be go to my Cocoa links on my website and find out a bunch of stuff. Mark Johnson just made it here. Hey, Mark Johnson, how are you? Mark Johnson says, hi, OG. Hello, Mark. Good to see you. Mark has been one of the people crazy enough to watch my programming videos as well. So thank you, Mark. Uh, and we're just talking all kinds of stuff. <laughs> I, I thought today. everybody knew that the... 256 color mode was fully documented on the last page of the Necronomicon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Bruce Campbell has seen it then, right? When he did Army of Darkness. So. <laughs> the Necronomicon. Oh, man. Nothing well, they like computer. They implemented human. it on the um, Coco 3 F FPGA, didn't they? Yes. Glenn Hewitt is here as well. Hi, all. Hello, Glenn. How are you? You guys are catching us on the probably about the last half hour of the show, but um, the show will be available for replay uh, even now. I think I think YouTube's got a built-in DVR function where you can scroll back. But why miss all the live action and excitement they were having? Now the dancing girls will be coming on here soon too, so you're not going to want to miss that. So a quick question too <laughs> on your calendar: Is that just on your site, or can you subscribe to it so you? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it is a Google Calendar, so it okay. is it is shared through my Gmail address. It's on there as a Google Calendar, and I think there's a little plus thing on the bottom where you can just click on the plus and add it to your own Google Calendar if you have a Gmail account. So, so yeah. if we added some of our specific interviews that are upcoming and stuff, it would automatically pop up in somebody's calendar. They go, oh, we're interviewing so and so. Yes, yes, today. yes. So as we add things, and I, I think I think right now nobody else has the ability to write to it, but I could probably share it in a way where I could add other Gmail people to add to it too. So 
like Curtis, if you want to add to it and stuff. Yeah. So if you guys want to add things to that calendar, I'll be more than happy to give you permission to do that. Um, like Shecky's Bar Mitzvah and things like that. These are all important events that have to be yeah. accounted for. So, um, Festivus, by, you know, kind of thing. By the <laughs> way, uh, get that website is down thing. I told you I showed my students. I was yeah. teaching adults. Yeah, yeah. So if you view that, the F, don't get too upset about the F bottle. I wasn't showing it to children. <laughs> no, I can I can certainly relate to I can relate to having razor thin patients. <laughs> the more you work with with technology, the more frustrated you get. Sometimes it seems like. It's the trials and tribulations of the help desk. Yeah. So, Mark, you've been awfully silent this whole time. You're nodding your head knowingly many times. But uh, how are you today, Mark? I'm doing fine. Excellent, excellent. And how's the weather by you today? Bright and sunny and dry. <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. Rick's giving us a big thumbs up. All right, so what else hey. we want to talk about here today, gents? Cocoa yeah, Fest. Well, going back to the FPGAs. Going back to the FPGA stuff, uh, Roger also has 256 color mode going on his Nano too. Okay. I'm just actually uploading a picture to the chat window right now. Okay, we'll take a look at that. I'm not sure how I'll be able to display that, but we'll, I don't know if I can display that. Uh, you should no, be able to drag I, it off and then uh, just display it on your screen normally. That yeah. might be a that might be the the thing. Yeah. So let me try that. I'm going to switch over. Uh, okay. So give me just a second. And I'm going to switch over to da, 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 full screen. Okay, so this is a picture that Bill Noble just took. This is a picture of the, this is the computer right here too. Right? That's the Nano. So yeah. that's the Nano. And it looks like it's got a couple of PS2 ports on it. Uh, you've got a VGA connection over here. Over here, this looks like the flux capacitor that's coming uh, into it. That's my Bluetooth uh, module. <laughs> and then over here, I love scan lines. I freaking love scan lines. And getting scan lines on a uh, LCD panel is nice. So nice. Look at zooming in on these scan lines. Look at that scan line goodness, this RGB glory. That is awesome. Um, that's a really good looking picture there, Bill. I think I remember Alan Huffman putting up some pictures too, where he got this like 80 column text mode and then turned on scanline emulation too. And it just looks like the old CRTs. And I'm so nostalgic for that look, that, that this CRT look, which is so hard to get without a CRT. Um, that's really nice. And this is 256 color. This looks like there's a lot more than that there. Uh, yeah, this looks well, really good. Full 640 by 480, 256. Wow. And what a funny picture, too. You got a woodpecker poking holes into Noah's Ark. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So somehow they, they still made the trip. <laughs> First nightmare. Yeah, right. Um, that's cool. That is very cool. Return after these announcements. Hey guys, Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here, and when you're done with Coco Talk, if you gotta have more cowbell, then head on over to my YouTube channel for your share of gameplay goodness. There you will find over 1,300 family-friendly gameplay videos. Everything from the old school to the next gen, and over 200 color computer gameplay videos, as well as interviews and replays of Coco Talk. So if you need your share of gameplay goodness, then check out the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh on YouTube at youtube.com slash talk. Yeah, I, I, like I say, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, 
Yeah, Big yeah. West Purdue says Steve series on the basic programming book really takes me back to when I got my Coco 2 as a kid for my birthday. Very cool. Glenn Hewitt, the wide original extended basic book was the best programming book ever. Yeah, I think we can all agree. Um, oh, here we go. Here, John Linville just put up another one. Let me see if I can't switch over to that 8-bit color. Uh, NTSC. Um, I've seen this demo before, but we'll go ahead and bring it up. Okay. So I need to switch my software over. Hold on one second. Let me switch my software to where I'm looking at my screen. Uh, full screen. All right, here we see the lovely and talented John Linville here. We'll make him full screen. And we'll Hello. play some. This is John Linville. This weekend at the 23rd annual last Chicago Cocoa Fest, I gave a talk on the NTSC 8-bit artifact color mode that is available on the Coco 3. No, it's on the YouTube. This will be a screencast to try to replicate that event for those who were unable or unwilling to attend. So, I hope you enjoy it. I don't know if you really want to play that. Let's talk about the NTSC 8-bit color mode. How do we, let's get to the three. Again, I'll fast forward through to where we get to the actual pictures. Chicago Cocoa Fest on the 26th of April in 2000. There we go. Gamma correction. Here's one of the stills here of some of the extra colors. Let's see if you got some more pictures here. That looks pretty good. And I just, oh, that looks really nice right there. Okay. That's very cool. Nice colored photograph there. And I'm just I'm just getting the um, I'm getting the look and the hand signals from the wife here too. So we are going to have to wrap up probably in about ten minutes or so. Yeah. So this is this is John. If you want to speak to this better, this is eight eight bit um, two hundred fifty six color artifacting over NTSC composite. Is that? Um, That's correct. Yeah. And it actually it's really this good. actually exists on real cocoa. And there's Steve oh. Bjork. It doesn't do it Steve Bjork justice though. Composite on NTSC machines. Um. But, you know. What's it, Steve it doing? Is. Has he left the group entirely? I haven't heard a thing from him lately. He was on Facebook not too long ago, a couple weeks ago. There's John Linville, Glorious 8 Bits. Actually, speaking of video players, because John did that video player in the Coco 3, there's been a couple of Coco 2 video players out the last week or two, too, yeah. that are pretty impressive. There's yeah, a semi graphics one and then a P mode four one if I remember correctly. Yeah, a couple things a couple things showed up in the Facebook group too about um, um, bonus colors on the Coco. Oh, who, I don't know who that is right there. Who's that picture of? Is that Curtis? The way this NTSC yeah. mode works is because basically is the Simon color Park. computer thinks it's outputting sixteen colors, you know, on uh, you know four bits. But because you have two of these pixels that are close enough together, the the display displays it as if the two pixels are blended together because that's the way NTSC a two two a transition between two different colors more than a certain number per line it blends it together and and changes it into one pixel and since each pixel has four bits the pixel on the display ends up be having the equivalent of eight bits. <laughs> Yeah, Big one West. of the cool things about uh, Cloud9's uh, high-resolution uh, converter to go to VGA, it mm -hmm. does have the artifacting. Uh, you, you oh, can yeah. Well, you should, you, you should see Brendan Donahue's, too. A lot of work has been done there as well. 
Um, Cloud Nine's not to take away from it. Yeah, it definitely does. I saw that last year, and I know it's getting updated too. Um, so some of the pictures that showed up in the Facebook group are not only the, your normal artifacts like the uh, the sky blue and the orange, but when you get these dithering patterns, like when you do either horizontal checkerboards or vertical stripes, there's ways to create a lot of extra bonus colors. And there was a handful of those images that were shown in Facebook this week. Um, and those, again, anything that has to do with an artifact is, you know, and my simple mind is it's taking advantage of some, let's just say, imperfections in analog technology. Um, but um, Max used it too. When, you, when you go to digital and now you're, you're outputting VGA and you're going to a digital panel, um, there's some science and sorcery involved now to create these analog anomalies on there. And so, as you mentioned, the um, Cloud9 uh, Super Expectra board does a good job. And, and the Coco VGA project that Brendan uh, Donahue is working on now, I've seen a lot of his videos, and he's going to do a presentation at Coco Fest. He's not only getting the oranges and the blues, but all the yellows and greens and everything else, too, all those bonus colors when you mixed orange and white checkerboards and blue and white and blue and black and stuff like that. So it's really impressive when people are getting um, all these... Um, all these extra colors out of a black and white machine that we were thankful and lucky to see four colors in the first place. And when we started getting six, eight, and nine colors, um, it's kind of neat. Now, what can you do with those colors because of the fact that it's a composite, you know, at least on the Coco 2 side, you know, it was kind of good in the, in the background. Like when you look at something like Pegasus and the Phantom Riders and it looked like you had trees and mountains and things like that, you couldn't really use that on a per pixel basis and it would look kind of weird as like maybe a video game character color. So it, it it's kind of has some limitations in where you can apply it effectively, I would think. It was really but, good in, on, on graphic adventure games like Sands of Egypt. Dallas oh, Quest. yeah, yeah. A lot of graphics adventure games did that very well to make, like, trees and mountains and skies and water right. and stuff. Um, I don't know how effective it would be on a per-pixel basis, but I am not that versed in, in doing major-type productions. It, it reduces your effective pixel resolution. Right. So, right. so if, you, if you have a uh, composite uh, artifact color that relies on having you know, red next to a blue or a checkerboard pattern, then your minimum pixel resolution is now, you know, effectively four pixels, you know, four times the size of a normal right, pixel. Right, 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 right. So conceivably, you could put it on an animated character or whatever, not just a background, but you'd have to keep your effective pixel resolution to be, you know, such that it would hold that pattern. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. All right, guys, I'm going to try to ask everybody if we can wrap this up now in the next five minutes or so because I have, I think, a bunch of hungry people out in the living room who are going to want to go eat dinner here soon. So I do apologize, but we did plan on doing this a little bit earlier. Yeah, technicalities. I have a quick question I want to ask everybody on the call. I may have mentioned it before, but the uh, the, the uh, RGB to S-cart table that I, I designed and whatnot, which I really don't have the resources or the time to sit here and produce, um, again, I just want to mention if anybody has wants to add that, you know, be that Rick, you know, um, um, or, you know, Retro Innovations, Jim Brain, or anybody else wants to sit here and produce these cables, I'm sure the, the community would be thankful for them. Well, I'm actually expecting uh, my SCART adapter to be arriving here within the next week. Well, you're buying the parts and building it, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm, what I'm saying is if anybody wants to actually build these for people, 
you know, I have no objection. And as a matter of fact, that's why I posted the uh, the information up publicly as I all the wiring and whatnot. So. Well, we'll see how how my first attempt goes at it. We'll go from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and Rick, uh, Rick, I just noticed you put you posted a picture of your your bomb thread opening screen there. Did you want that to be put on for people to see here? Sure, it's fine. Okay, let me find it. So it's in the Skype chat. So. Yeah, hold on. I gotta I gotta I gotta push a couple buttons here to bring up the screen on my program. I have to move this off screen before I share screen so we don't get that vertigo effect. Um, here we go. So this is it, and if, and we let Rick speak to the significance of what we're looking at here. I think most of us on the call know what this is, but for anybody watching who doesn't know what this is, I'd rather let the the expert. Oh well, um, this is just a game that I did 30 years ago and tried to sell candy, and nobody wanted to buy it, and so it sort of languished uh, for 30 years. And it was uh, in a little plastic box full of discs in my basement. And one day I went down to, because I was curious and wanted to find that, and I couldn't find it. And I've looked several times, and it's lost. So I don't have the source discs anymore. But we discovered uh, a gameplay video, uh, which does happen to be on YouTube. Uh, and my kids found that. They remembered playing the game when they were little kids. And uh, so they went down in the basement and found that VCR tape, and we looked at it, and then we, you know, put it on YouTube. And then uh, I kept trying to find the discs and couldn't. And so uh, I'm just uh, – somebody taught me how to use an emulator, uh, a number of people. And so I'm programming again, and I want to see if I can do this. So I'm porting my own game from a gameplay video. <laughs> so is this a cl is this technically a clone of uh, Bond Thread? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you, you would call it. With all I'm of the port that down, am I? <laughs> <laughs> the, the disc, the disc that the source code is on, is the one that the label has fallen off, and the disc has fallen behind the dressers. <laughs> I, I think it's in a warehouse someplace right next to the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, it is. It's a, it's a national it's a, treasure. We need Nicholas Cage here to help us with this national treasure. Right. <laughs> but we're, we're watching Rick's progress here because he's posted a couple of videos for some of the people in the Skype chat and stuff. Uh, you know, because this is an animated screen. It's not just a flat screen like this. Right, now, right. Where it actually, you know, kind of draws things around and stuff. Like he's made a lot of progress in a very short time. It's, it's pretty impressive for somebody who hasn't touched it in I've 30 years. I've actually gotten to the part where you can actually move it around and move boxes around. So I that's have some very, very limited games left. That's so very really cool. And, and so... Uh, and and just because this, so this is Coco Talk number five, so and this started in the Skype group from Coco Talk. So it's been less than five weeks time. You've basically reinvented a game you wrote thirty years ago. You've got a title screen. You've got animation. You've got things that are working. So in less than five weeks time, that's that's absolutely amazing to me. And and even just this picture alone is amazing. But the fact that you've got working um, game code and and you know animation and playability. That's, um, and I mean, just. Right. So I wouldn't have it done by Coco Fest. Yeah. I'll have something to show you. Yeah, no. no you'll have it done by Coco Fest just next year. <laughs> yeah. You have to come back and well, give another really keynote. What's ironic is the, the, the copyright. It's copyright 1984. Well, that's, I'm just emulating the, the original screen. Uh huh. So it's really, you know, 
you originally I put 2017 and I thought, oh, what the heck? Just make it be exactly the way that it was back then. So it, it's kind of ironic that I have it that. That is cool, though. That is cool. Well, you need to put some more hidden code in there, too, so when people hack it, you can have little hello messages and everything else in there. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, now, that is absolutely amazing. That's probably a good enough uh, image to leave everybody with there as we wrap up this week's Cocoa Talking as I address my starving family. Um, uh, but, yeah, so this has been a great, another great talk. And I definitely appreciate everybody who was here in our call. We have um, we have Rick Adams with us. We have Nick Marentes, Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, John Linville, uh, Richard uh, Richard uh, Chris Chris Lip, yep. and Mark Overholzer, Rick Adams, Bill Noble, Barry Nelson was here. Is still here. Who else did we miss? Who was here and gone earlier? Hey girls, uh, say hello. Hi. <laughs> Barry's, uh, how many daughters, Barry? Is it two? Yeah, I got two daughters. Leanne, the older one, is the one who wrote the uh, uh, some of the menuing software and some of the machine code for the uh, the programmer for the Coco Flash. Uh, that's cool. That's cool. I think I saw your daughter last year at Coco Fest. Hello, Leanne. And um, Ron Klein just showed up. Ron Klein, I'd love to have more time to talk to you, but we're definitely out of time for this week. I just want to remind you all that this, Hi, week's, this week's Cocoa Hi, Talk is sponsored by hey, Pop, Pop Star Pilot Crunch, the new sugary sweet cereal that you can get uh, containing crystal meth that will really put a bounce in your day. <laughs> <laughs> and so make sure you come out to Cocoa Fest in Lombard, Illinois, April 23rd, 22nd of 2017 and um thank you all for being here uh i can't thank you enough another great talk thank you everybody in the audience who's been watching ron klein and glenn hewitt and jimmy alvarez and john linville and uh bruce moore has been here and um in tempo gamer has been here and um, Curtis and Glenn and Jimmy and Glenn and Mark Johnson has been here as I'm scrolling backwards. Frank Patel has been here. Bruce Moore has been here. So, yeah, thank you, everybody. Ghost Rider, uh, Chappers. Uh, it has just been a hotbed of conversation. And um, I appreciate everybody who watched and everybody who joined and look forward to next week being live at Coco Fest as we live stream from the fest and hopefully we can have a, a in-person in uh, Coco Talk too and when we're not having a TED Talk and, a, and other talks and presentations maybe we can get together and do another live stream of Coco Talk sometime next weekend in between the other 4,000 planned and unplanned events so and David Ladd is back that's the other person who wasn't here so oh, David really? is here. Or were you here before and I just because your face just showed up again I don't remember your face being here before did you? Because I know a few yes. a, a few icons have kind of moved around on my screen. I'm getting confused. I'm getting dizzy. All right, guys. I got to run. <laughs> Thank you all for being here. Coco forever. Coco Fest is next weekend. We'll see you all there. Be there or be square. If you're not at Coco Fest, then go play off a damn Atari and leave us alone. All right, guys. <laughs> Take care. Thanks for joining us, Steve. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Bye-bye. See you, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of Coco Talk. We certainly hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, why not check us out on the web at cocotalk.live, where you can watch video replays of all of our live episodes, as well as send us feedback and suggestions for the show. We'd certainly love to hear from you. Until next week, I'm the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. Keep on cocoing. Coco forever. Have a Coco day. And bye-bye, everybody. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's me. It's the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. You know, gameplay goodness.
gameplay goodness. You know, gameplay goodness. All right, people. Gameplay goodness. Thank you so much. Yeah. You know, gameplay There's my shark now. There. There's yeah. Maggie. You know, gameplay goodness. Just do it. Gameplay goodness. Just do it. Gameplay goodness. Ready for this? You know, gameplay goodness. Yeah. You know, gameplay goodness. You know, gameplay goodness. This is how we like to do it. Gameplay goodness. All right, people. You know, gameplay goodness. Um, Shkadoosh. You know, gameplay goodness. Now he's shooting at me.